This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I'll invite you to join me in the book of Luke, chapter 23. That's where we'll find our text for this morning. Thank you so much, praise team, Brother Shane, for those of you that have led us through worship and song so far. As we continue this morning, and of course you have noticed, many of you I think probably on your way in, uh, the banners that we have hung up. Uh, I think most of you know, or at least several of you probably recognize that this is Palm Sunday. And so next week is Easter, and we continue to turn our, our hearts and minds toward Easter. This morning we're going to look in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to see what I'm reminded whenever we come to this text, as every time I've looked at it this week I've remembered, um, that my daughter, Addie, many of you know Addie, that every time that we look at this story together, either at bedtime when we're reading the Bible or whenever it comes up and we're talking about the crucifixion, Addie reminds me every time, she says, Dad, I think that this is the most sad story in all of the Bible. And I know that it's our immediate reaction to say, well, no, this is, this is a thing to celebrate, and it is something to celebrate. But I do pray that as Christians, that when we look at the text that shows us Jesus' crucifixion, that we are both saddened by what our sin caused Christ to endure and excited because of his love for us that, he, that we see there. So it's both. It is sad, and it is something that we cannot live without. It is both. So we mourn our sin. We mourn the wrath of God that it brought onto Christ. But we also praise Jesus for making salvation available to us at the cross. And so we celebrate today. As we just sang, at the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. And I pray that today that you are, that you are in awe of him. As we look at this text, I pray that it, it helps you to be even more in awe of who Jesus is. So look with me. We're not going to start probably where your Bible has a normal break at verse 26. I want us to look just behind that at verse 24. After the Jewish people had tried Jesus in their own trial, they then took him before Pilate, and there's a Roman trial, and we're going to begin as that's ending at verse 24. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. Uh, this morning, what we're seeing here again is Jesus. We're seeing the end of the trial where he has been tried and has been declared uh, guilty and that he should receive the death penalty. We see that the people wanted this so desperately that whenever Pilate offered them the option to release a man who was guilty and who had been proven guilty of insurrection and murder, or to release to them Christ, they said, give us this man who is guilty of insurrection and murder. We want to see Christ crucified. These people desperately hated Jesus. They wanted more than anything, to see him put on a cross and put to death. And that is where 
they are at this point. That has been given to them. That has been granted to them. Jesus has been given this penalty, and he is headed to the place where they're going to crucify him. They are headed out of town. They're going to the place where they will set up the cross, and they will nail him to that cross, and he will die. And so as we are headed there, there are just, there are just three things I want you to see this morning in this text with me. I want us to see, even in the midst of this, Jesus is concerned for the Jewish people. It's going to be very clear in this text today, his concern for the Jewish people, and then I want you to see his concern not just for Jewish people, but for all people. And then the last thing that we'll see is how people's response to Jesus makes an eternal difference. So his love, his concern for Jewish people, his love, his concern for all people, and how the way that people respond to Christ, with faith or not, makes an eternal difference. We see a very clear showing of that in this text. So look with me again in the text. We'll pick up at verse 27. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So here, this is where we see, and you may not see it initially, but I pray in just a moment you will. This text is where we see Jesus' love and concern for the Jewish people, for the Hebrew people, for his people. What's taking place here was fairly typical in this day and time where there was a funeral, whenever there was someone headed to uh, something like a funeral, this will soon be Jesus' funeral. Uh, there were these people that would follow him. There were criers that would, they would go behind a funeral and they would, they would wail out loud. And, and that's what we see here with this group. There are these people that are doing what they typically do. And so they're following. And there's this large following that's headed outside of town to see what's going to take place. And some of the people are wailing and they're crying and they're lamenting. But Jesus stops and he turns to these people and he speaks to them and he tells them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Just kind of bookmark that in your mind there for just a little bit. We'll talk about that toward the end. But do not weep for me. Right now I want to see what he does say. He says, but weep for yourselves and for your children. And now we could spend weeks and weeks looking at just this text right here because there's this text and there's an ancillary text in Luke 19 that goes with it and there's a quote here from the Old Testament but we're not going to spend all of our time this morning looking at this one point but what I want you to see here is that Jesus makes a prophecy, makes a prediction, he tells them he's God, he's not just throwing darts, he tells them what's going to happen in the future and he tells them that there's a day that's coming that's going to be so terrible for the Jewish people that when it gets here, that the people that never had children will be glad that they never had children because of not having to see their children endure what was coming. There was a terrible day that was coming. There were some terrible things that were going to happen to Jerusalem and to the Jewish people. It was going to be so bad that when it happened, that they would look at the mountains and the hills and they would pray that the mountains could just fall and cover them to shield them from what was coming. And so Jesus here... Is, is making this prophecy, is telling them what's going to happen, and he's telling them to cry for themselves and to cry for their children because what was going to come. But And you don't have to turn there. I just want to tell you, you can write this down if you want to read it later. But in Luke chapter 19, just a couple chapters before this, in verses 41 
through 44. Jesus, that's whenever he is getting ready to enter Jerusalem at Palm Sunday. And it says whenever he comes into sight of Jerusalem for the, the first time, as he's coming for this very last trip to Jerusalem, that whenever he sees the city, that he weeps for Jerusalem. That he weeps for the people. So it's not just that he tells them, weep for yourselves and weep for your children because of what's coming, but Jesus cried for these people as well because he loved them. Even as they are crucifying him, even as they are walking him out to the place, even as they have made a mock trial, and even as they have spit on him and yelled at him, and even as they have done these things, God's people are precious to God. And these Hebrew people, Jesus turns to them and tells them, you don't have to weep for me, but weep for yourselves, because there are some days that are coming that will be extremely painful for you. Point one this morning, while going to the cross... Jesus showed love and great concern for his people. We see that here. The Jewish people. He knew what was coming for them, and he told them to be prepared. He told them to cry for themselves because of the days that were coming. And they're going to be worse than what they're experiencing now. And we see that Jesus had also wept for them, that he had cried for them because of the unfathomable love of God, that he would cry for these people even though he knew what they were about to do to him. But not only does Jesus show us in this text, not only does Luke show us in this text that Jesus had love and concern for his people, as we continue in verse 32, we'll see that he loved all people. It says, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved to others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. So we see here several things that show us the, the shame that Christ endured. Uh, we see not only in the crucifixion itself, but we see in all of these things that are taking place around it, how terribly these people saw Christ, how terribly they treated him. We see that the Romans didn't think he was anything special. They crucified him just like they would any common criminal. There was a common criminal on his right, and there was a common criminal on his left, and he was in the middle. This was not, I know sometimes we might picture the crucifixion as it's some big spectacle that they did so that everybody could see this special prisoner being executed, but that's not it. There was a crowd. There were a lot of people that went because they knew who Jesus was, and they wanted to see what happened. Well, we see that this was just an execution for the Roman people. They dispatched some of their people, some of their guards, and they went and they crucified him right in between two criminals, just like he was any common criminal. We see that, that they're casting lots to, to see who gets his clothes, which is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, but it's not the point that we're going to get into this morning. We see that they made fun of him. They mocked him. They yelled at him. He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the Son of God, the Chosen One. They said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They put the sign above his head, right, a man being crucified. I can remember whenever I was little, and I would always hear, they'd say, they put a sign above him that said, 
the king of the Jews. And I always thought, well, that, that's not shameful they're saying that this is, but it wasn't a declaration. They weren't saying, we believe. They were saying, this is your king. This is the one that you think is your king. We've put him on a cross and he's being crucified. It was a shameful thing. Over and over they do all these things to show the spite that they had for Christ. To show how little they cared for him. How excited they were to see him put on a cross. But I want you to look back in verse 34. Because even as they're doing all these evil, mean, hateful, terrible, spiteful things. I want you to see how Christ responds to them. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Point two. While on the cross, Jesus showed love and great concern for those that opposed him. Now, I, I pray that this, and I know that the Lord will use this text in different ways, but this has what has resonated in my heart over and over and over this week. Look, it was special whenever I, I noticed that first part, that, that as he's headed to the cross, he shows this love and concern for his people, that he stops and he speaks to them and he tells them what's coming and he tells them to weep for themselves. And it reminds me of him seeing Jerusalem that last time and weeping for it himself. And it was amazing that even though his people are rejecting him, that Jesus is showing love and concern for them. But then when I saw this, Christ on the cross while being crucified looks at the people that are rolling dice to get his clothes and yelling insults at him and making fun of him and smiling and laughing and are glad that he is there and that he's being put to death. And in the midst of all of that, he prays to God and asks that God would forgive these people of what they're doing. And I'm just completely in awe of it. I pray that if the first point didn't make you recognize, didn't show you that there's something different about this man that this does. That while they showed as much spite and hate as they possibly could, he prayed for their forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, the love of God is unimaginable. And it knows absolutely no bounds. And this is good to see that Christ has this sort of love for his enemies. Because we'll talk about it in just a moment. But brothers and sisters, if you're not now, at one point you and I, we were all Christ's enemies. We were those that opposed him. We were those that went against him and did our own thing. So the fact that Christ loves even his opponents is very good news. Not just for those around the cross, but for us as well. The last thing I want you to see, though, is, is how the way that people respond to Christ. How faith makes all the difference. Christ has already secured the... He is the offering that has made it so that people can be set free from sin. He is the one that has made it so that people can have eternal life. But whether or not we, re, we respond in faith makes all the difference. Look in verse 39. We see it with these two criminals. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? 
And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here we see two men, both guilty. They both know that they are guilty. Everyone else knows that they are guilty. They're one on either side of Christ. They're being crucified. They are at the point of dying as well. And they respond extremely differently. One blasphemes Christ, yells insults at Christ. And the other, so convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, that not only does he speak to Christ and ask for help, but he yells at the other criminal and rebukes him and says, Do you not fear God? Do you not know that this is God? And do you not fear him? And I don't know what these two men saw differently. And I don't know exactly what had gone on differently, but I know the difference at this point in time. And the difference at this point in time was faith. One had faith in who Jesus was, and one did not. And we see here the difference that faith makes. One is yelling insults at Christ even as he's moving toward his last breath. And the other one declares that Christ is innocent. But this man, verse 41, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he recognizes not only the innocence of Christ, but he recognizes the power of Christ. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so this man responds in faith. He says, I know that you are who you say you are. I'm declaring that you are my only hope. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He responds in faith to Christ. And we see the difference in these two men. Because the first one... And everything that I see here, it is clear that that man is in hell today, paying the penalty for his own sins, receiving what he deserves, receiving what we all deserve as a sinner, the wrath of God. But the other man, because of his faith, because of his response to Christ, because he declared that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God, that He is innocent, that He believes all the things that Christ says about Him, Jesus' response to Him is a beautiful response. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He calms this man. He tells him he has nothing to worry about. And so here we see again this love of Christ for people that do not deserve it. They do not deserve it. Neither one of these criminals deserve to be saved from anything. They deserve the penalty that the Romans were giving to them. They deserve the wrath of God that they were about to receive. But something happened. Something happened that keeps this man from having to endure the wrath of God that he deserved. And that something is Jesus. Because Jesus stepped in and endured the wrath of God for him. For him and for every person that has ever and that will ever respond to faith in him. That's made clear in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. We have that for you. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And in simple terms, the Cliff Notes version of that is this. We have all sinned, and because we have all sinned, we all deserve God's punishment. It's what is right, it's what is just, it's what is fair. But instead of giving that to everyone, God sent his son Jesus, right? God sent Jesus here to earth. He came as God in human flesh, and he lived a perfect life, and then he died in our place. An atoning sacrifice as a ransom. And when Christ is on the cross here, he doesn't only feel the pain of the nails and of the crown of thorns, and of the the things that people are yelling at him, but he feels the wrath of God for every sin that we've ever committed. All those sins, all of the punishment for all of those sins is laid on Christ while he's on the cross. He becomes our sin. He takes God's wrath for us. So the wrath of God for this criminal on the cross, it didn't just disappear. The judgment that he deserved didn't just dissolve. No, instead what happened is it was taken by Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty. It didn't just go away. Somebody had to pay that penalty. And Jesus did it himself. He paid the penalty for every sin that that criminal had ever committed. And why is that so exciting to me? Why is that such good news? Because, brothers and sisters, that's not just the story of this criminal. That's my story. This is what I declare. I thought of a couple of songs this week. Hymns that many of you probably know that help to show this amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Aren't y'all glad I'm saying it and not singing it? Grace that exceeds I'll replace our with my grace that exceeds my sin and my guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. Brothers and sisters, that's good news. There's a reason we sing those songs, because that's good news in poetry form. This criminal was able to hear from Christ, Today you will be with me in paradise, not because he was good, not because he was perfect, not because he deserved it, but because Christ had paid his price. And I can stand here today confident that if lightning struck through this building and killed me right now, that I would be with the Lord, and I'd be with him forever and ever. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I look forward to that day. I pray that you do too. Point three, the last point. Faith in Christ removes us from condemnation and God's wrath. See the difference that faith makes? Christ has already died. Christ has already come back to life. We're not celebrating it till next week at Easter, but we're celebrating it today. Christ is alive. He's in heaven now. All is well. He has secured freedom from sin. He has, re- he has secured eternal life for everyone that responds to him in faith. But brothers and sisters, faith is the thing that makes a difference. Have you ever responded in faith to Jesus Christ? Because in this text, there's just one last little thing I want to show you before I end. We see that Christ is in control the whole time. You know, I told you 
to bookmark that idea when Jesus turns and says, do not weep for me. I want you to recognize that these things are not outside of God's control, that this was the plan. This was the plan all along. Jesus looks at them in verse 28 and says, do not weep for me. He says, you don't have to weep for me. This is not a sad day for me. Yes, he was going to endure the wrath of God, but he knew what was coming after that. Do not weep for me. And in verse 34, while on the cross, while it appears that he's powerless and he can't do anything, he prays and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's going on here, but I do. He knew because this was his plan. And in verse 43, when he looks at this man who's being crucified and says, Today... You'll be with me in paradise. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has never been out of control. Even on the cross, he was completely in control of everything that was happening. So why did he go there? If he could have changed it, why didn't he? Because, brothers and sisters, he came to be the ransom for our sins. Because he loves us enough that he wanted to make a way that we can be reconciled to God and set free from sin and that we could live forever. So this morning, I pray that you will look at these two criminals and you will see this is a clear idea that you need to know which one you are more like. Are you more like the one who wants to live your way and wants to do things your way and is hurling insults at Christ every time you read the Bible and it tells you that you need to do something different than you are? Or are you the one that says, do you not fear God? I know that Christ is innocent. I know that he is God. I know that he is my only hope. Forgive me. Remember me, Lord. Because we're all one or the other. And that faith makes an eternal difference. So this morning, I'll invite you to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. I just want you to think about what your life looks like, does it show clearly that you believe that Christ is who he says he is or does it not? If you've never responded in faith, but, but the Lord has used this text today to bring you to that point that you are prepared to declare that he is Lord, then come and share that with me and let me share that with everybody else and let us celebrate with you new life, abundant life, eternal life. If you have other things that the Lord has shown you in this text today and you need to pray, if you want somebody to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. If you have questions, I would love to answer those questions. But if the Lord has called you in this text today to do something differently than you are doing, I pray that you wouldn't wait. I pray that you would respond to him today in faith and that you would move in the way that he's called you to. So as we sing, if you would sing with us or pray, but you do what the Lord's calling you to during this time.